0: What kind of people are we? I have a radio contact. What kind of people are we? Attention, crew, this is your Captain Caliban speaking. This is a supplemental episode of Enterprising Individuals, where we bring you news and tidbits from the world of Trek, also interviews with special guests, and a few little surprises along the way. And the surprise this week is an interview. Last week on the show, I talked with David Mack about an early episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, and we discovered how Next Gen took a year or two to really find its feet. And this week, I'm talking with someone who has made it his quest to review the behind-the-scenes documents, pitches, and memos from the earliest inceptions of the various Trek series, I was extremely fortunate to get a chance to talk with Larry Dr. Trek Nemechek. He's a storied fan, author, and podcaster who's been involved in Trek fandom for a number of years, long enough to be considered an old fogey, as you'll hear us talk about in the interview, his words. We also talk about how he went from a NASA geek to a Trek fan, I get his thoughts on Discovery, and we talk about the next generation, if you will, of Trek fandom and their presence online. We talk about the initial Roddenberry free pitch for Star Trek The Next Generation, and we even share our experiences designing sci-fi makeup projects for our respective theater educations. It's a great talk, and stay tuned after for more info on some of Larry's projects, and with that, let's get underway. I'm joined on the show today by Larry Dr. Trek Nemeczek. Larry is the author of the books The Star Trek, The Next Generation Companion, and Stellar Cartography, as well as being a former editor of Star Trek Communicator and a contributor to Star Trek Magazine and the official Star Trek website. He's been interviewing the writers, producers, and actors of the Trek universe since 1986 for his audio archival series On Speaker, and he's recently launched his own podcast called The Trek Files, which presents a weekly deep dive into Gene Roddenberry's personal archives. Larry, welcome to the show.
1: Aaron, thank you so much for having me on
0: <laughs> it's good to have you aboard uh, I always ask new guests uh, whenever they come on the show how they got into Star Trek like when did you first become a fan
1: <laughs> and my famous story is I blame my ninth grade <laughs> science teacher
0: okay <laughs>
1: I was vaguely aware of Trek being on but I didn't at the in, on NBC but I didn't run our TV I was the little kid of the family and uh, I remember lost in space being on but okay, okay. Um, but not until of uh, the rerun era and my ninth grade teacher Long story short, basically ended a whole little scene with some other people. And she said, oh, Larry, don't tell me you don't watch Star Trek. (laughs) (laughs) And it was on every day after school at four. So, I, you know, the rest
0: is history. (laughs) I often hear from uh, people who tell me about their history with Trek is that their parents enjoyed it, too. And so they find themselves, uh, you know, like you said, you don't control the TV, but it's on at night or maybe in the afternoon. And then they're watching it with their parents. And I guess if your folks weren't into it, then, yeah, how would you even get to it necessarily? How would you even really know about
1: it? Right. And, like, I I, I was a big NASA person. And my folks were really good. But, no, I mean, it's been later. You know, the geeks won eventually. And cool parents, <laughs> yeah. ha- cooler parents happened in that way. I had great parents. Right. Um, they indulged. I mean, I had... You know, I model rocketry and stamp collecting and model building and and model railroads and all this stuff, and they indulged me a lot. And eventually, Star <laughs> Trek got in that mix too. But it's not like they handed off anything to me. I, I but I had been a NASA kid. I was a big NASA uh, person, and I loved history. And that's mm. really where I came. I mean, I and I read science fiction. Although I remember having a thing about all books, all fiction that I didn't want to read anything unless there were follow-ups to it. It's like I don't want to invest my time. Learning characters in a universe, which is funny now to think back, <laughs> like, yeah. oh, what's the ultimate of the time and still. But um, but that's where I didn't come to Star Trek from like classic science fiction, although I, I read it at times. I came to it from which explains a lot from history and from real science. Did
0: you have any of the uh, photo novels when you were a kid?
1: Oh yeah, I'm looking at them right now on my shelf. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I have the first four in the box. Oh, and then all the right. Rest of them. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: well, Trek fandoms—I mean, it's still going strong even 50 years later after the debut of the original series, and of course now there's a new set of adventures for a next-next generation in Star Trek Discovery. What did oh, you yeah. think of the show's uh, first season finale? I,
1: it was a lot of fun. I—I mean, I, I was close to it. I'd gotten to talk to a few of the writers beforehand. I kind of had a sense, and—and and just. I mean, everything is so public now. We all watched – it was not a train wreck because this train got to the station. This plane landed. I right. said discovery to me is like uh, – on the metal level, discovery is like if you start a taxi, a taxi ride and your driver changed three times without the car stopping. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> right? And, and the way that uh, Aaron and Gretchen, uh, Alex Kurtz, all, all those – Ted Harbert, the way that whole staff evolved and eventually landed that plane – where I think if it had been anything else, if it had not been a franchise like Star Trek, and if it hadn't been Star Trek and launching CBS, Alexa, they would have that would have imploded a long time ago. But oh, sure. because it was Star Trek, and because it was launching this new Enterprise, so to speak, um, you know they they stuck with it and and landed. It's amazing, and I you know I have the things I kind of go eh, about, but I know I know where they were coming from, and I know the. Current crop what they want to do and i 'm i 'm excited to see season two because I want to see what they do with a clean slate, but having said that, i think I think it hit a lot of it had a lot of obviously it hit a lot of buttons for a lot of people, and apparently CBS is happy with the numbers they have so yeah numbers are great we see and it's it's it sure lit up a lot of the
0: internet um. <laughs> yeah well that 's what you want in, in these days yeah I think that it 's also a, a good point that uh, star trek 's always been collaborative, so the fact that there was maybe Whoever was you know at the wheel of the car changed a couple times. It's always been something that's a group effort, and I always feel like Trek is often at its worst when you've got somebody monolithically saying, "No, no, this is a good idea," and uh, just sort of pushing things through. Uh,
1: Yes, but the but we've never had a. I mean, what's different about this time? And there's, it's the everything about Star Trek. Every new iteration is always we've got to do exactly the same thing, but different. Yeah, and and then you factor into that like uh, Voyager launching a upn network and next gen launching original syndication and 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 you know the even the animated series being kind of the most adult series even though we look at it now as a cartoon but it was the most adult series on saturday morning it's kind of radical when you think of it that way so on top of just the show itself you've got the platform and you know all access was controversial a lot of fans that I'm not going to pay for my you know God meant for me Star Trek to be free. I'm not going to pay for it. <laughs> right. You had all that to get through, and then how would the model hold up and the delays and the fact they stuck with it through the delays on top of just analyzing the show and, and but to the audience, even the people who were intellectually prepared for it, this whole notion of it being streaming, I mean, we've been watching Game of Thrones. we've been watching serialized and that's HBO. it's not technically streaming, but we've been watching you know um cinematic TV and prestige TV. And ser- heavily serialized shows, Game of Thrones and, and Walking Dead, are kind of the, the kings of that right now. And still, it caught people off guard what a Star Trek through that lens would look like. Just the, the the audience experience, much less what how the show would play out and all that. And a lot of people's energy got caught up. in, oh my God, she dropped the f bomb. Well, no, it's not going to be a constant. You know, it's kind of like what was the headline of the week. And now, what's interesting to me is, even as it settles, is I think people are still settling on now that we're out of the valley between the peaks each week, and we can look back at the whole mountain range of the show that season, that story that season, like what is that what what's the there there what What are the takeaways now that you know we're not caught up in that yeah. that that headline of the moment, that crisis of the moment?
0: Yeah, I think it would have been a bad idea and also antithetical for a show about the future to return to TV and just be on at eight o'clock on Tuesday night or something like that, to not be streaming and to not engage the community the way it has. Like I've had a lot of fun following the uh, actors and even the writers, you know, on Twitter oh, right. and Instagram and just seeing, you know, updates about this and that.
1: Well, that's the other dynamic of this is this is yeah. the
0: first show that's
1: been in the social media era as well as like the so you know, I mean, and the the later shows were into you know message boards and all that, but everything came in the late aughts. So, yeah. Twitter and Instagram and and all of them and them having the the ability to bring bring that relevance. I mean, I feel like we've been watching behind the scenes specials from day one with these guys. Mm-hmm, so
0: mm-hmm.
1: even you know, and then after this after trek now is the thing you do. Yeah. You know, like uh, walking like Talking Dead and all of that. So it's been a whole different dynamic. But I think the other cool thing is. Old fa- I excuse me <clears throat> veteran fandom <laughs> <I'm
0: careful.
1: laughs> from wherever they came in if they go back ten years or twenty or thirty or whatever, everybody comes in a little bit with their blinders on and you forget that there's a whole new generation, even if they've been a fan already they're they don't they didn't they weren't spoiled by if you're in the generation that gets to see an iteration of Trek. As it premieres, right? You're there week to week, and you know, oh, well, Cupid is there because there were two Robin Hood movies that year, and I remember the best of both worlds summer and all of that. Or you were there with the original letter writing campaign to, you know, for 10 years to get the motion picture. And we're finally back to this is a generation in in 12 years that finally can say, I'm watching new Star Trek. And it's really exciting for people, for the I say the new kids, some of them are 60. But I, right. there's, it's exciting for people to have a fresh trek, and 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 they don't have to be the ones hearing about it from you know, all the old people debating about oh the way it used to be and oh I remember that <laughs> <Right>. you know <laughs> they get to have their fresh and and they are at least with Discovery they are in the same they're in the same place with everybody else there are no oldsters everybody is a newbie with Discovery they may bring different things to it when they right. watch it for sure and right. you can sure see that online. <laughs> But everybody is fresh with this, and I'm mean, excited for all the people who are – Discovery is their first trek, you know, yeah. and, uh, and, and to see that excitement. And then when people get into the, you know, the debates, and a lot of them are, the critiques are, are well-founded, but then there's just some crazy you know get-off-my-lawn-you-kids stuff going on too. <laughs> like, <laughs> but I, when you <laughs> see that and you see the kids fight back and, or the new viewers fight back, it's, it's, it's exciting. That's kind of my goal for this year is to talk to people who have only been a fan since – discover you know the kelvin movie's even for it's been 10 years since star trek 09 right. was filming and the buzz was out about it right and and how it was you know controversial and has it assimilated into the, you know what what was its legacy in long term yeah. and will there be another one but i just want to talk to these people who are totally new because apparently start something in star trek is
0: still being done right and still attracting people yeah <laughs> absolutely I, I did a uh, recap show uh, on my network of Discovery. We did it uh, like a live, you know, right after it aired on Sunday nights. And my co-host on the show is a very young uh, girl who's a college student. And her first trek was like late Voyager and Enterprise, basically. Mm -hmm. And so I specifically was looking for that perspective. Because like you said, we can just grouse all we want in the old folks' home, but there this is the new generation coming forward and as far as uh, as, uh, as far as us complaining on the internet you know we just adopted it they were born on the internet and so they can definitely uh, fight back and i think it's going to be their opinion that proves to be the most important going forward
1: right well especially and even the dynamic of even as we are on facebook and twitter and all these old people platforms <laughs> like there's some sort of i've decided the last you know I, I i know this especially at a convention now there are a lot of people that look at online fandom. They look at even convention live fandom and think, well, that's the profile of fandom. And I've said for years there's a great unwashed armchair fan out there that don't go to conventions, you know, or they don't, they're not online, they just watch the shows. You know, and now maybe they watch Netflix, or they buy action figures, and maybe they buy, they buy books. But that, and I just think there's a great, unrepresented, you know, the great normal majority of fandom out there that are driving things. That I don't think I think we get into a trap, or people get fans get into a trap if they're, you know, talkers, or they're bloggers, or whatever influencers, or they just tweet all day, mm-hmm. and they forget that that circle of ten or fifteen or twenty or a hundred people around them. May not be the best pro. I mean, I know I'm different from. I'm such a background idiot. It took me a long time to realize that not everybody. Not a long time. My first, my first bubble at a convention was I just thought we'd all go and sit around and talk Star Trek background. Like, what else would you do? And right. oh, <laughs> there are people that like the stories. Okay, for stories' sake and characters. Well, of course, that's part of it. You know, but that's what they really get off on. Oh, okay. Today the kids call that shipping, but back in the day it was right. like I'm a, I'm a characters person, but. <laughs> But it was, but that was like, you know, that lasted five seconds for me, and then I got it. But it was just we have those blinders and those, you know, we just examining our assumptions, and and it's just every new generation is like that, and every new Star Trek has its ten fifteen percent loud, you know, whatever is new about it is hard for people to adjust to, or they're so passionate they're worried that something's going to change, and. You know, you know, Next Generation was that way, Enterprise, and Discover, and, and Voyager, and in Wrath of Khan was that way with right. Killing
0: Spock. Yeah.
1: So that's that's been, but that's been fun for me to bring that to people and go, guys, calm down. You you new kids, you know, like this has happened. Let's let's give it a chance. And anyway, but all those things are in play. But the social media dynamic, yeah, and the actors, that's what's been really unique about this, and that's why Discovery is of this time, and um, that's been just amazing to watch. And on the side, kind of remind. Folks who are so, and the other thing is funny is people who are totally into Game of Thrones and totally into Walking Dead and totally into all the streaming series, and they're so hip and they're so up with it. But the minute they watch Star Trek, it's like they forget the last twelve years have existed of media, you know, (laughs) and they immediately go back, snap back to their old Star Trek viewing, thinking habits, perception habits, and and it and you could see it's like even if you were prepared for it, and a lot of people I don't think were. It took
0: weeks and weeks and weeks for people to go, oh, okay,
1: <laughs> to get it. You know, yeah. I don't know if the, I don't know if that if, the, if that struck you that way.
0: It does. I think it's something that every show is going to have to go through now. You know, in this uh, new millennium. But I think Discovery uh, has navigated that, navigated that very well.
1: Yeah, I think they pirate. I mean, if they do a spinoff show, if they do it, because CBS Alexis is like madly trying to find shows to fill out the year, so people don't just drop it. Mm-hmm. You know, and they've got this new um, Twilight Zone going with uh, uh, Jordan Peele, I think.
0: That's right. But
1: um, and you know, it's. I hope they let another season go down so we see what this team does. But it'll take you know, I at least by the end of the second season we are, if not already, maybe even because things move so fast now. It's only a fifteen episode season now. Right. But you know about spinoffs and um, you know, and who might go over and pioneer? You know, who might go showrun another? Star Trek to take up the other end of the the year when Discovery isn't on. Yeah. And, or, you know, what the big plans for Discovery – or, you know, Brian Fuller's original idea was for an anthology show that would hop different eras, which would just be awesome. Right. That would really blow people. And and now you're finally in the business model where that makes sense. Back in the old 26 episodes a season, get all you can out of everything, that was a huge undertaking and investment. And I knew they'd never do it. But yeah. now you can't – and Star Trek's universe is so huge – it's, it's, it's way bigger and more fleshed out than anything out there. I don't care. I, Star Wars even. Star, Star Wars exists on trading cards and novels. You know They're, they're just yeah. now cranking yeah. out films. Star Trek has had that background, which is why the online game works so well. They've had that massive universe that's fleshed out pretty well yeah. in a lot of details and a lot of nooks and crannies. And, and that an anthology series totally makes sense. So it's it's really exciting. After 12 years – I say 12 years of the fallow time – Wandering in the desert, it's really exciting. <laughs> yes, the
0: dark ages. And, yeah, yeah. I was uh, looking at your bio earlier, and I saw that you studied theater in college. Uh, I did too. And I read that you chose to do a Tellarite for your makeup class project, which was, I think, ambitious <laughs> to say you're the really least. really reading. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, and then when you were at a small college. No, I did it. I, you know, no foam, prosthetics. No, it was like a nose putty. It was okay. literally nose putty, you know. Sure, Uh, And I've still got it. It's in like, it's all hard now, but um, (laughs) I kept it. I couldn't, you know, just like I have the Tellarite mask that I wore on. um, They did an excellent, like it was a four hour makeup job on the other side of the scale for, uh, for phase two new voyages. They were, they were doing vignettes and it finally was put together. It was mainly a Klingon. It was basically the Klingon version of the Kobayashi Maru. It was a great little idea. (laughs) And for me, rather than just being another Klingon spy, they let me, I said, I wanted to do a Tellarite and I missed a window to do that and they did this whole right just so i could be this one bit with one line but it was awesome <laughs> and That's we cool. even had like an accidental discovery in the makeup where i could huff and the the nose trapped just a little bit of air so that when i did a <clears throat> it would just
0: flare up a little bit with okay. air sure it, yeah. was, it was like amazing if you
1: planned that you couldn't do it
0: it would never bring it off yeah. I'm, I'm somewhat embarrassed to say that i chose to do a star wars character for my fantasy makeup project I ended up doing uh, Vader, but without the helmet, like when he takes the helmet off. Oh, at right. At the end of Jedi, yeah. Um, so as a guy with that... I have no shame in your wars, necessarily. It's yeah. <laughs> okay. It's okay. <laughs> as a guy with uh, acting experience, uh, and you're a Trek fan, and specifically a Leonard McCoy fan, it must have been a dream come true to get to play Bones in Star Trek Continues.
1: Yes. I, now I look back, and it's at that thing about when it rains, it pours. That was... I had just been contracted to do the Star Trek stellar cartography map book set. Right. Which is like the first cool out of the box, you know, um, kind of nonfiction Trek item in ages. And, you know, it takes you back to like getting your blueprints and getting your tech manual and all that. And I was so thrilled about that. And then Vic Mignogna calls me with about three weeks ago and says, would you who I just had barely met? Would you do McCoy? You know, we have uh, Chuck Huber can't do this. Would you play McCoy for us? And I'm like, oh, my God, yes. And I had fan film experience. <laughs> But I, I, I said just as long as it's not, you know, January and February because I'm starting this other project. He says, "No, it's exactly when we shoot." And I'm like, "You've <laughs> got to be kidding!" So I, you know, I and I, I, didn't bone up as much as I should have. I was working on cartography at night, so I watched those now, and and I'd been losing weight, but I it wasn't where I am today even, and it just all those things. But I couldn't say no to it. Oh, sure. And it was amazing, and I was—they just blew me away. I mean, this was not. It was community theater fan film, but it wasn't. And the professionalism of this group to, and to find out they didn't all work together all the time, it was just amazing. And you see that from the, the episode first couple that I was in and then I stayed a creative consultant. And then all the way to the ending, it just it just got better and better. And there's a lot of people that love that series now and they treat it as canon and whether you want to get off on that or not. But the the people involved, the family of that were just great. And um, But yeah, as a McCoy fan – the very first thing we did on camera was an MOS scene of of surgery, and I, you know, and I was I was flying and going. Now I wonder if they'll have props. Should I have brought my own props? So I got then, of course, the nerd boys all had props, but it was <laughs> it was such a combination of professionalism and you know, and semi professionalism like headed there, and the nerd the nerd factor. And when you marry those, that's continues because the stories were really well done. You know, it wasn't just people cosplaying with cool props it was the stories were great the editing the all the professional crap the cinematography and lighting and all of that were just was just genius yeah and then people doing it mostly in their spare time and and um but yeah it was it was amazing i just wish i i feel like i was a better mccoy in the second episode even though um it was a lot less screen time okay but oh it was it was uh it was amazing an amazing group of people yeah
0: yeah and you can catch larry in star trek continues in those episodes uh you can see them on youtube Let's talk about your audio series, uh, On Speaker, where you share the recorded interviews you've conducted with writers and producers and directors who've worked on Trek shows. Uh, When you started uh, doing these interviews, there was no internet, and indeed a lot of those early interviews uh, were done on cassette tape. So my question is, why did you initially start interviewing Trek personnel?
1: Well, the very first ones I did weren't part of a pattern. I just realized when I was working in news and I went to a convention, it was like, oh, wait a minute. I could take this off if I interviewed these people and come back. (laughs) Right. hmm." Right. But no. But then by what really kicked all this off was when I got the contract to do the companion, Mm -hmm. the next generation companion book on three months lead time notice till I had to have the first five seasons done, which was insane. And, of course, in my mind, I'm carrying around the classic making of Star Trek book by Stephen Whitfield mm-hmm. Poe and thinking I'm gonna live up to this but how the hell do I do this in three months and of course they didn't care start you know they held off to five years of next generation before anybody really people at pocket the licensed publisher really thought they they wouldn't lose their shirts and even then and and they had just done the tech manual too right and they they printed like 10,000 copies because they didn't know who would buy it and of course it went like and people had been doing you know unofficial, unlicensed. The demand was there. Yeah. It was way there. And they were totally underestimating it. And the 10,000 run of the tech manual sold out in like two days. And they printed 10,000 more. And those were, g- it's like, come on, guys. You, you This show has, since Best of Both Worlds, the fourth season, the fifth season, people, it's gone crazy. It's the hottest thing out there. Right. And um, it's fresh and new, first new Star Trek, first sci-fi, first all this in ages. There was nothing going on. And, and they underestimate. So anyway, so the companion comes out I did wind up getting six months to do it because Leonard Nimoy was mad at licensing over another issue, and they we, he wouldn't approve his images. So the biggest news in five years of Next Gen was Spock being on, you know, Next Generation. We right. couldn't the first print the first couple of printings didn't have the Spock photos. It was like everything from Unification, two parter. Except the Spock photos, which was kind of amazing. But that got remedy. But you know, I learned so much. I came out, I did not have a, I thought I'd have a red carpet rolled out for me. I didn't. I had to learn meet everybody on my own.
0: Okay.
1: I mean, I, I, I could fill a book with the stories of doing this. But <laughs> the best thing that happened was I did have to do everything on my own. I had to get people's trust. Yeah. I did have to network. I did a lot. I came out for a week. But that was not, you know, I had three months to get this done. I barely talked to anybody. I went back, did a lot of phoning, decided that since the show was going on, we'd update it. The next year I'd come back and do more, and I did. But taking the long way and doing it on my own and getting people's faith in me and my honesty and my uh, honesty with them about material and, you know, uh, uh, even, you know, private conversations and things Mm -hmm. and the trust there that just grew and grew and grew until i was you know and i wanted to talk to everybody even not so much the actors but the the people that really made the decisions and um even though the first one was done so quickly the last as you notice the book still because they did not let me go back and fill out the first few years <laughs> but the more the book goes along it's less about what i found and researched in my original interviewing the fourth and fifth years are be- best. And then we added, you know, additions and got the sixth, seventh year and then all four movies. And those are really fleshed out. In fact, we're having to cram stuff in. And then when Next Gen ended, they were, you know, DS9 was already overlapping and Voyager was moving along. And we moved, we decided to move to LA from Oklahoma. And my wife got to, had a temp job on Voyager and got to work. She worked the first five years in the writer's building. And with all of that, I said, it's silly to stop talking to these people. Just because my book is done. So I – I mean eventually I was working on Fact Files. Eventually I edited the magazine. But basically after everyone knew me, it was almost like a, a annual ritual. Sure. And I learned the best time to talk was go in at the end of the year when they were de-stressed, no deadlines, but before they – you know, flush their own memory core right. for the hiatus. Right. Came back all stressed about the new year. And that was the sweet spot to get people. And I learned that the hard way the first year. But after that, that was, so yeah, I've got five, 600 hours here with everybody. Um, and it's from the day. And I realized about 10 years ago, and I use them, you know, for writing articles and reference and going back to, it. and I was like, my God, these are just a resource on their own. Yeah, and right. I should start digitizing. And I didn't go digital to like, 2000, about the time the show Enterprise went off. So, yes, the bulk of everything is on tape, I and I've barely scratched the surface of getting them digitized. But that's <laughs> – so the CDs are my first answer to let's get these digitized and get them out there sure. and, and to a theme. And that was – and then that's the same – that kind of – we've got – there's more here for people. My god – Star Trek fans have no idea how much Star Trek they have no idea about.
0: <laughs> yeah, sure.
1: And that was the idea behind Portal 47, finally, when I figured out how I could do it and, and what that would be like.
0: Speaking of uh, archives, uh, your new podcast, Trek Files, debuted in January. And each week you're examining Trek-related documents from Gene's personal archives. And listeners can also check out and get a copy of those documents on your Facebook page. That's an amazing privilege to, get it, to dig into Gene's archives. That's like candy store material right there.
1: It is Well, I, yes, big thanks to uh, Rod and then John Champion, who co-hosts their uh, Mission Log podcast, for coming to me and saying we'd like you to do this. Yeah. So, I mean, I've known Rod for years. Since he kind of came back as his mother's health went down, he kind of stepped up and took the family business on. And, and it's bite-sized. It's like 15 minutes, right. so it's easy to do for me, but we could do several at a time. I have guests. We've had Dorothy Fontana and Dave Rossi, and we'll, we're just getting started and we can do several with each person. So on one hand it's very doable. Um, but it's say yeah, it's a completely untapped um resource there. And it's a it's a way to get whether it's a you know one page letter or it's a 15 page memo. Um it's there and and the coolest thing is to me it's something that's different. There are so many good podcasts out there and so many shows and some not so great. But I didn't want to do for years I didn't want to do I mean, I've been I've enjoyed going on as a guest and talking but I didn't want to do my own unless I could bring something fresh and different to it and maybe take it to a new level. And this is certainly – I wasn't expecting this, but it was certainly one way to do that. And, and I'm activity. very grateful to Rod. Yeah, so it's, it's HQed on Facebook. And, yeah, people can get the
0: document as well as listen to us talk about it. Is there a holy grail of archival documents for you, like something that was very pivotal in Trek's development or even something that puts rest to a debate or contradicts a persistent rumor about the development of Trek? Well we just I I didn't know about it
1: but now in hindsight this one that we had a couple of weeks ago the the 1986 would be premise for a next generation show, yes. it kind of kicked Gene into going, OK, 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 I'll come back and do it myself because you're sure not doing this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, that was amazing. I mean, I literally fell off my chair when uh, jaw dropped the whole thing when we came across that. And, yeah. and I'm glad I knew this would make news, but not everyone. And some of them are known. We just go back and and you know, like the original pitch yeah. that became The Cage and The Writer's Guide. And Rod wanted us to be foundational because part of this is. For history's sake, for fans that know the history, but also it's like, what's just the DNA of Star Trek, and what are shades of Gene? What are shades of the shows, the things he had a hand in through his, you know, the '60s, '70s, and '80s up through Next Gen, and and how does it affect Star Trek through the years and today? We even had one that like reverberated with Discovery big time, literally, yeah, a phrase, and um, that's that's been amazing. So the Holy Grail, I. I've got – I would still – I don't know. You got me flat-footed on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Part of this – the fun here is just finding things like that that you didn't know – or you knew they were kind of in there, but were they really on paper? Were they really – is there really a smoking gun for for this aspect?
0: Um, I'd like to see uh, if they exist, the uh, hundreds of memos that I'm imagining from Shatner or his agent about the fact that Kirk is the star of this show and not the Spock guy, uh, or the on paper negotiations about Nimoy trying to get a raise when he was uh, negotiating for one in between the first two seasons.
1: Yeah. I mean, Bob Justman and Herb Solo kind of got into that in their book a little bit, but yeah, it's tantalizing. That's what's amazing too. We'll pull something out and it's not just what Gene wrote. Mm-hmm. Or something that's been published, but it's like the notes in the margin and what was marked yeah, out. Yeah, right. And we don't get into that so much, but but when you see the scanned document, you get to see that. So, sure. You know, our version of it. <laughs> so, yeah, we do. We are going to get into a lot of unexplored territory in the 70s when all that era of, here's a movie. Nope, can't do it. Oh, how about this? Nope, can't do it. That right. whole back and forth movie in flux revival time. Yeah. And some were genes and some were not, and he's commenting on all of them and reacting we're going to have a lot of material from The God Thing and from Planet oh, of the Titans. Okay, cool. And a lot of that is going to be coming out soon. Yeah. So
0: I was talking to uh, David Mack recently on the show. And we were talking mm-hmm. about the TNG episode, The Schizoid Man. One of the topics that we lighted on was how Next Gen hadn't really like made it or found itself yet at that point in the second season. And I brought up the recent documentary, uh, Chaos on the Bridge. And oh, there's, yeah. There's this figure throughout the Chaos documentary that stands out as not exactly a villain, not quite a hero, kind of the tough love dad of the Enterprise. And it's John Pike, who was the studio president. Uh, and without reading the titles in the doc, you can absolutely tell in this documentary like who's a writer or a creative and who's a suit, because this guy's he's fairly unfiltered. <laughs> and uh, you guys touched on him in the recent episode of The Trek Files. Uh, you and uh, Rossi went over right. that document. Right. Uh, and he sends uh, this letter and the attached documents to Roddenberry saying, well, here's our pitch. What do you think? And I like the fact that you guys talked about how it was leverage, you know, like, hey, we're going to do this with or without you. So if you don't like this, you better come on board.
1: Right. Well, I mean, on one hand, you're thinking if it was just a goad, if it was just a poke at him. <laughs> yeah. Then they could have, like, thrown a page out there. But this – it went on for, you know, six, seven, eight pages. They had cast – they had a, pri- a pilot premise and then the arc of the first season or, you know, the premise of the show. Sure. It was a lot of detail there. and. Yeah. I asked Greg Strangis about it, who wound up doing their War of the Worlds show when they were doing all the original syndication right. bits in there. And um, and Jeff Hayes is on that memo. He wound up doing their their uh, Mission Impossible redo for a few years. Mm. Um, and Greg Strangis wasn't too interested in talking about it. Okay. I, think, I think he was kind of burnt. Because I I really don't think it was a ploy. I think they had a team ready to go thinking – because this was '86 and Gene died in '91, and his he had many strokes. You know, like by the yes. f- second, third season of Next Gen, and his health went way down. But and, and even Bob Justman told me he and Gene kind of looked at each other like, "Are you up for this, old man? Are you up for this, old man?" Okay. And uh, because Gene was out of shape, really, they were talking about how he, you know, if he walked twenty or thirty feet, he was huffing and puffing. And and he got back into, sh- I mean, physically and stamina, got back into shape on the ramp up to the show, but they really didn't know if i mean he could have just sat home and taken his you know 5 or 10% or whatever and not been involved but yeah. this and if that had happened they were ready to go with this it, this was not just a ploy yeah i mean these guys were ramped up to go and um so that's i mean it's but it, you know in the past it'd been this oh they had these ideas and i said nope you're not going to do it without me and that would be how this whole thing was covered and but now we've got the guts of it here, and it and yeah, it's uh, yeah, chaos in the bridge is awesome. Leonard Majlis is the one that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> When I was and I did this book so quickly, and we really didn't get into the guts, and it was still in the raw time before the the uh, the emotional comfort zone of the stature limitations, you know, had run out, sure. and people were like, oh, I don't want to talk about Leonard Majlis." or he made me so mad. Well, what? Oh, I don't want to talk about it. And you know, Dorothy Fontana and David Gerald and all those folks that were there. Uh, and now people are talking about it, and I, so good on them for getting that out. I would have loved to have had that detail in the companion, but we would at least we would at least talk about creative differences. Yeah, creative or, differences, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't want to sugarcoat anything, so we did as much as we could at the time. Yeah, and uh, and did more when I could. I feel like so, uh, uh, Gerald
0: would have a lot to say about Leonard Maysluch.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. well,
0: that's that's what
1: blogging in the internet's for. That's now. That's right.
0: So, there we are. Uh, uh, as we wrap up here, there's something i uh, there's something else I always ask guests of the show, and that's who's your favorite captain, and why? Uh, can your space dad beat up my space dad?
1: <laughs> See now, I this heres talking about me and fandom. I never had that whole, you know, if the Enterprise and the Millennium Falcon got <laughs> in the side, yeah. if fight, you or know, if Han Solo and Captain Kirk, or if Kirk and Picard got in the, I just, like, those kind of things, like, never occurred to me to, I just go, they're all, or people would argue over it. Now, I, over the years, I've got shows I, I lean to. I mean, it's like, when you had the original series from almost the beginning, 79 shows for 20 years, it's kind of hard to get away from the emotional tie yeah. of that. And like I say, you never forget your first. Oh, yeah. Sure. Everybody comes in with, like we were saying earlier, everybody comes with the track. And, you know, the next generation, I, I waded through several times for all my books. And DS9 had this great, incredible cast. And Enterprise was, I don't know, that was always executed the way I would have had. But I, that was the idea I wanted them to do for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's it's all of that. So I have a hard time with these favorites, this and that and the other thing. <laughs> I don't really have a favorite captain. I mean, McCoy is my favorite character from sure. the original series, sure. and I guess – And I and I love D. Kelly just even as a kid in Oklahoma, I just had the sense that of all the actors and all the cast. I mean, you loved all the characters, but D. Kelly was the one I wanted to go out and have dinner with. Oh, absolutely. Old enough to think about that. And I, you know, I had the chance once or twice before he
0: passed, which was awesome. And I treasure those times, but, um,
1: so sorry, I'm going to wimp out on you.
0: And I I don't even like the idea of of the conflict and I don't want to foster it, (laughs) but something that I like to do, I like the thought experiment of taking a, you know, a captain and replacing them with somebody else. So like, what would uh, happen if Cisco, uh, was, uh, in Darmok, you know, instead of Picard or something like that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, that's, there's a, there's a huge guilty chunk of me that goes, what the hell kind of fan are you if you aren't <laughs> getting into these kinds of things? So it's just hard for me to make the decisions like that. Yeah. I, I I guess that's just I, I have plenty of strong opinions about a lot of things, but uh but um but yeah, I'll just uh I don't you know, I the easy thing what's fun is to watch time and the pendulum swing on all these things about Trek mm-hmm. and how things are in style and they're not in style and you know, it's the 60s show was old hat and cardboard and Christmas lights and plywood when Next Gen was cool and the Next Gen became the 80s show with the therapist and carpet on the walls. And the 60s were retro cool again and right. just watching the, you know, the styles swing in and out and, and to watch the rise of Janeway's army, I call it, and and Voyager's sure. rebirth and DS9's rebirth. Now people say, oh, it's the series that stood the test of time the most, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's really Discovery's uh, – forebear among all this, you know it but that every 10 15 years we revisit these things and change so that's
0: that's been amazing to me to watch just watching
1: the watching the watchers is uh-huh yes kind of fun for me yeah absolutely well
0: thanks so much for coming on uh we didn't even get to talk uh, much about con of wrath uh or talk more about portal 47 so i'll we'll have to have you back on at some point to talk about those
1: i'd We're... love to do that people can go to the website though and read. yeah where can
0: it. people find you online
1: yeah, so dot is the hub of everything. And just real quick, Portal forty seven dot net is, like I said, kind of the end all be all of me figuring out how to how to get more Star Trek that I knew I was aware of and the people that I knew mm-hmm. and people who aren't going to turn up on conventions or in an interview anytime soon. Sure. Uh getting that out there. And it's like a mini con, you know, in several ways every month. It's online or live. It's like a mini con all year long. So that's kind of been my the thing I've been wrestling with here in the fallow times and now that we're back, and I'm really proud of that. And Con of Wrath, yes, my documentary, we're going to wrap it up. <laughs> we're going to wrap it up this year, I, I swear to God. Yes, okay. we are.
0: <laughs> awesome. So, yeah, Porto 47, learn from Dr. Trek online. Thanks again for talking with me today.
1: Aaron, thanks so much for having me on. This, is, this has been amazing. Thanks. <laughs>
0: Thanks to Larry for coming on the show. It was a lot of fun. And if you like what you heard, you can hear him every week on Trek Files, where he looks at some of these seminal documents from Trek's history, many of which come straight from the archives of Gene Roddenberry. You can find his show and other Trek programs at podcasts.roddenberry.com. I know, I know, the prime directive of podcasting. Don't send your listeners to other podcasts, but we're one big happy fleet. So let's consider this a personnel transfer. Get informed and entertained at the same time by Trek Files. It's a great show. You can see Larry as Bones and Star Trek continues on YouTube, and you can hear more from Larry at LarryNemichek.com. And you can check out Portal 47, Larry's service that provides you with an in-depth, insider's look at the world of Trek. It's like a miniature convention that comes right to your inbox every month. Check it out at LarryNemichek.com forward slash Portal 47. If you're shaky on the spelling, don't worry. I've included links to everything in the show notes, and I've included a link to Larry's Trek Files episode about John Pike's gene-free next-gen pitch. Larry's books, The Star Trek The Next Generation Companion, and Stellar Cartography can be found on Amazon.com, and you can get there by clicking the book links in the show notes or by clicking our Amazon banner on EnterprisingIndividuals.com, and I recommend bookmarking that link. Whenever you go to Amazon, by clicking through one of our links, whatever you buy, be it a physical or a digital book, a Kutluksh, or a Horgon, we get a little something from that transaction at no extra cost to you. That's right. By following your passions, you're helping make ours possible, keeping the show going and keeping the warp drive lit. If you go to enterprisingindividuals.com, the Amazon banner is on the right. You can't miss it. Click on that and then purchase the Next Generation Companion or whatever catches your eye and you're helping support the show. But what if you're thinking, Cap, I've got all I need from Amazon right now, at least until that How to Serve Kelpians Cookbook comes out. Well, don't worry. You can still support the show by going to our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash E-I-S-T-P-O-D. It's there that you can sign up to be a crew member for the show for a small monthly donation, and you can get access to our exclusive subscriber content like our live shows and my DS9 rewatch recaps, plus show merchandise and much more. Just head to patreon.com forward slash And you can watch a live broadcast of our first Enterprising Individuals live show from Convergence 2017, where I'm joined by comics artist Christopher Jones and authors Patrick Tomlinson, Naomi Kritzer, and William Leisner to talk about The Wrath of Khan. That was a great show. And we're doing it again this year at Convergence 2018. We're talking about the TNG episode, The Measure of a Man, with melinda snodgrass the writer of the episode and you can be on the front line and be the first to see those live shows by supporting the program at patreon.com forward slash Pod. become a member of the crew today and as always anything you can contribute to the show will be appreciated and will help keep us flying thanks Well, what else? Uh, No time for news this week, but I did want to say that William Shatner is alive and well. I guess someone tried to (laughs) start a hoax uh, that he had passed away a week ago, maybe trying to get out ahead of April Fool's. But joke's on you, he's still kicking and tweeting, of course. I hate unclassy April Fool's jokes, and I prefer ones like pretending that your podcast is a show about Esperanto and media, but that's just a randomly selected example. I also wanted to say congratulations to Terry Farrell and Adam Nemoy, who tied the knot last week. Many happy years to the both of you. And does this mean that Nicole DeBoer has to take over for Terry in a few years? I hope not. Just kidding. Congratulations. Our top comment on social media from the past week comes in response to a picture that I had tweeted out from Minicon53, I was attending Minicon in Minneapolis this past weekend and representing enterprising individuals and Just Enough Trope, our parent network, and I was speaking on a few panels. And when I stopped by the charity auction table, I saw a songbook for Irish tin whistle tunes. And of course, I had inner light on the brain, and I tweeted a picture of it with a caption that said, so that's Picard's secret. To which Twitter user Alexander at at Mr. Underscore Picard replied, oh no, you found out accompanied by that picture of Captain Picard looking shocked, shocked I say, mildly over his teacup. Alexander describes himself on Twitter as Jean-Luc's loving husband, massive fan of Sir Patrick Stewart, Daniel Stewart's number one, child of the 80s, Star Trek TNG is love, I think that applies for all of us, and he also runs Patrick Stewart News at, at Pat Stewart News on Twitter, which I just subscribed to. So thanks for your tweet, Alexander, for having the top comment. You win one of those cells that Picard was trapped in in the episode Allegiance while his doppelganger was roaming the ship and making toasts and stuff. I'm not saying put Patrick Stewart in it, but it's got the little food pucks and everything. It's ready to go. Remember, listeners, you can tweet to us or message the show and get updates about what we're up to at Minicon or Convergence and elsewhere. Just go to facebook.com forward slash EIST pod or find us at EIST pod on Twitter or through our social media links on enterprisingindividuals.com. You can also reach the show at EIST pod at gmail.com with feedback and suggestions or to just say hello. We're waiting to receive your transmission. And that's it for this supplemental episode of Enterprising Individuals. If you're an Apple Podcast listener and you haven't yet, why not look us up on Apple Podcasts and make sure that you're subscribed to the show. Also, give us a little review if the spirit moves you, and give us a rating at the very least. We'd appreciate it. If you're not on Apple Podcasts, you can still subscribe to the show on Google Play or Stitcher or wherever you get our show from. And if you leave positive comments and ratings and reviews on those platforms as well, we would be eternally grateful next time on enterprising individuals who can you trust a captain who suspends the prime directive whenever it suits her a vulcan whose stoicism might mask his subterfuge a first officer who's already betrayed one cause a doctor that's not even real who can you trust Dr. David A. Banks joins the show next week to look at an episode of Voyager that sees seven of nine question everything she thinks she knows about the crew of Voyager, and she'll stop at nothing to peel away the layers of obfuscation that hide a sinister truth. It's the Voyager conspiracy, next time on Enterprising Individuals. And until then, I'm your Captain Caliban signing off and saying live long and prosper.